Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. I'm delighted to introduce our two newspaper reviewers to you this morning. They're both Waterford men. Uh, Dermot Keyes, he's the P- PR and Communications Manager with Green Acres Marketing. And also Brian Nolan is the Head of Communications uh, with, with San Ofi. You're both well, very welcome to the programme. Um, Dermot, we might start with you. Um, the front page of the Mail, in fact, it's covered in all the papers this morning. Um, nine, 79 arrests a day. But Justice Minister says Dublin is safe. Um, I'm not sure I can agree with this. Some of the stats we've been looking at over the last number of weeks, the horrific incident with that poor American tourist. Um, There seems to be, I suppose, a societal anger against what's happening on our streets. Very much so, Bobby. And good morning. You're very welcome to Waterford. Um, I think the big issue for me about this, Bobby, is that you say the name Talbot Street. You don't have to be from Dublin, living or working in Dublin, to know that there's been a problem in Talbot Street for quite a number of years. Yeah. Um, and I know it's something that's been highlighted since, uh, for example, when the Irish Independent relocated. Um, that obviously probably helped to highlight the fact <coughs> that there's been quite an issue on this particular street. Now, it's not as if it's the only street there's an issue on, but it's where this, unfortunately, terrible incident happened this week and has got us all talking about it. And, I mean, even the optics, I realise the Minister has to have... Um, Gardaí with her security when she's actually going into a Garda station but it didn't really look very good yesterday yeah. we had our Minister and Pascal Donoghue just behind her and they had flanked by three or four Gardaí I would have thought maybe from an optics point of view it would have been preferable if the Minister was walking into the Garda station and maybe the Gardaí were just out of sight um, and I know people talk about these things but it doesn't really matter but I don't think that in itself instilled too much yeah. confidence in terms of an image um, you would wonder what's it going to take. I mean, we're told all these very helpful statistics that come from the Guard the Press Office about what's been done in relation to Operation Citizen, almost 15,000 arrests since 2021. What are those arrests leading to? Yeah. How many convictions are they leading to? How many, how many re-arrests? Are, yeah, and how many court appearances are they leading to? Yeah. And how many uh, actual convictions and charges are they leading to? Um, like, it's, it's very easy to throw out a number like that, and it sounds impressive when put, put in isolation. But what does it actually mean in reality? And you would have to wonder as well, Bobby, we have a, a habit in this country of reacting um, to when terrible incidents happen. I mean, I think the biggest one of all is you go back to the, the establishment of the Criminal Assets Bureau, which yeah. came in the wake of the murders of Garda Jeremy McKay and Veronica Gearn. Why did it take those two savage acts to happen for CAB to come about, which has obviously been a very successful implement in the fight against organised crime. But it's not just organised crime, Bobby, obviously, that we're concerned about uh, in this country, and it applies to Waterford as much as any other part of the country. People want to feel safe in the places they, 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 they socialise in, the places they work in. Um, so I think for the Minister to say that Dublin is safe, unfortunately, right now, that isn't stacking up because... There are many other incidents that probably don't attract the same level of headlines as an attack on an American tourist. Yeah. I mean, some people shouldn't be more equal than others when it comes to things like this, but this happens to be a story that has really angered and annoyed the general public. And maybe it's going to take um, a, a general election campaign for law and order to actually become a top issue again. I don't think it has been since John O'Donoghue's ill-fated zero-tolerance policy in 1997. Yeah. Um, Brian, your, your own thoughts on this story? Yeah, um, I think, first of all, Bobby, there's a lot to Dermot's point about why we're particularly focused this week on this attack, because it, it being a US tourist, so they're a visitor to the country and they have this horrendous experience, and it obviously, it's what has it on the front page, um, 
previously it was a Ukrainian actor very close to the same location. Um, they were near the Abbey Theatre. I think it's worth a quick look, sort of a level up, I suppose, from the police in response. So obviously you need visible policing, you need the deterrent to that, you need the people involved to know there's consequences. But I think you also have to ask, like, one of the main suspects here is a 14-year-old child. Yeah. You do have to ask, what, how many things need to go wrong before a 14-year-old is attacking a 57-year-old as part of a gang? The 57-year-old from New York is in Beaumont, serious facial injuries, fractured eye socket, doctors hoping to save him from losing his sight. It, it's a savage outcome, but as I said, it's not policing alone that's going to solve yeah. it. You can't have a police state, you can't have guards on every corner. Yeah. They have from the resources, they would say. Could they use some of the resources they have better? Probably. Yeah. Um, but I think you do have to step a few levels back, like that part of Dublin, as Dermot has said, it's been derelict or semi-derelict for generations now. It is amazing to me, even I was saying to Dermot earlier, that kind of capitalism hasn't filled it in because it's so central. It's walking distance. Yeah. I, I've operated businesses in that part of town for many years. Yeah. I know it well. And it's always been troublesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it does, though, seem that sometimes it takes something like this to sort of, I suppose, it's almost a tipping point to, we've got to this, we have to do something about yeah, it. This and you're right, it's, it's, I don't want to oversimplify it. It's, it's highly complex. There's societal stuff here. There's, you know, all sorts of things. As you rightly say, if, if the symptom of a, is a 14-year-old a attacking a, an American tourist. But I think that's maybe just been, people now collectively want this sorted out yeah, and mm -hmm. it's 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 not good for anybody no and you need all parts of the response yeah. i'm not dismissing the uh, police and part of it either. no and there's no mm -hmm. point in in trying to blame you know at this stage in pointing fingers at you know guardy or this needs to be sorted yeah. and i think we as a society at all sorts of levels uh, justice courts policing uh, social services all need to be on the one page here mm -hmm. um, but it is it's I, the, um, I noticed as well in your own Waterford paper, the Waterford News and Star, um, there's a pocket garden to derail antisocial behaviour. Can you tell me about that, just on the same on the same topic? Well, what's interesting about this is, Bobby, that this is something which has been implemented in the heart of the city, about five minutes walk from here, just alongside the city walls, and it hasn't happened as a result of something particularly high profile occurring. So it's to the council's credit, they get wrapped in the knuckles for lots of things, the council, I think somewhat unfairly uh, locally at times. But this was actually a reaction to the fact that there was antisocial behaviour in Railway Square um, for quite some time. And, um, but thankfully, it didn't take a significant high profile incident or injury right. for the council to take action here. Now, what was there previously, it's worth pointing out, was actually a children's playground. It's not as if this area hadn't been tended to by the council or they hadn't attempted to beautify it for one for better better phrase, but unfortunately, um, unwelcome disparate elements had kind of taken over that area for quite a period of time, and, and in night time in particular, um, it wasn't um, a particularly nice area to walk through. But what this has actually done is it's actually brought a bit of life back into the area. And how did they do that, if you, if, if you don't mind me asking? Well, what, what's, what's the secret to making it unattractive I think for antisocial behaviour? For me, Bobby, one of the most impressive things about it is they've done it for €45,000 yeah. versus we're going to talk, I think, later about billions <laughs> of infrastructure projects. Yeah. It feels like it's a low-budget intervention um, if it has achieved the 
tackling the antisocial behaviour. And the other element there, Bobby, as well, as I know the council, and it was one of these plans, like so many other things, which was uh, sidelined by COVID, um, the city walls are actually going to be illuminated in Waterford and it always felt to me like something was a massive oversight. We have this fantastic ancient infrastructure in the city that we haven't really positively exploited properly. But the fact that the wall just behind this park is going to be lit, hopefully within the next year, 18 months, that's going to be another deterrent uh, to stop people from hanging around there who really probably just shouldn't be there. And this has become an increasingly busy throughway. Um, Office space around the area has actually started to fill up after buildings were empty upon construction for several years, which is obviously a positive and lots of admin staff there as well. So it's a part of the city which has actually improved itself. And again, as Brian said about the the middle of Dublin, it's quite surprising. There's been any number of urban realm projects all around our other cities. For some reason, with the exception of the College Green project, which hasn't happened yet, Dublin doesn't seem to have done any of this. So you'd have to wonder, what has Dublin City Council been doing for the last 20 years when local authorities with much bigger resources than a council like Waterford, which has made great strides to improve its urban realm in the last 10, 15 years, is something we've actually done well here. Okay, Um, Brian, back to you. Um, uh, On housing, just 10% of eligible renters actually claiming a tax credit for 2023. Um, a piece by Tyg McNally in today's Examiner. Um, Am I right in saying that the low take up on this, that some aspect of it is around the registration of landlords with the uh, uh, residents T- uh, the tenant RTB board. Yeah, absolutely, Bobby. It seems like it. It's 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 a good bit down in the story before you come to that. But it seems there's two pieces to it. One, people's awareness of the tax relief that it's available for last year 22 and this year 2023. But I think the nub of it might be further down. Um, tenants, uh, the Dublin West TD Ono Brain uh, talking about tenants being too scared to even ask their landlords about registering with the RTB. Yeah. In case they're not, and in case it triggers a rent review or whatever it is, um, it jeopardises their tenancy. Uh, Owner Brain also said there was one case where a landlord was willing to directly pay the tenant the 500 euro rather than register in the tenancy. What's that telling you? No, absolutely, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So the uptake seems to be about 40,000 renters have accessed the tax credit um, up to the 9th of July. And okay. about 400,000 who could be eligible. So, And we're learning as well in the Irish Times today that uh, the landlord exodus has yet to boost uh, the housing stock that doesn't seem to have had the impact uh, that one was expecting uh, on the housing market. Yeah, nope. the charter surveyors seem to be saying there that it's kind of so far a very low impact, a modest uptick, they say, in the number of general sales um, going through estate agents since the... Um, the change there in the, the legislation and all the talk about the kind of mass exodus of landlords that it was going to free up a lot of property for sale, it doesn't seem to have done yet. Um, okay, we'll move on. Uh, why does it take so long to get big infrastructures, uh, projects built? Uh, Cliff Taylor, uh, who I read every week, and he generally talks a lot of sense, um, he's done uh, a checklist um, about, and basically a checklist about uh, poor initial scoping of a project, unrealistic costing, check, uh, largely ignoring the risks, check, and basically if we cite the uh, Children's Hospital that the original budget was I think 700 million, it's uh, north of 2 billion now. Um, These, you know, and, and he also makes a very interesting point, does he not, that once these places are built, regardless of what the cost is, we seem to forget about it. 
Pretty much so. I mean, yeah. don't ever seem to learn from these mistakes. Um, I mean, it is interesting. We're talking about how long it takes to get things built. A bit like the previous story that Brian highlighted. You go about halfway down to Cliff's piece, and he says the other big delay on projects in Ireland is politics. Yeah. And I worked locally for two newspapers in Waterford for 24 years, and I would honestly say that the biggest delay in a lot of projects um, was not to do with, with planners and administrators, but probably more to do with, um, with political politics. interests. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're talking about infrastructure where just a stone's throw from the North Keys. And interestingly enough, there's a BAM barge just across from us here at the moment, um, which is going to be used to put in place a sustainable transport bridge, which is going to link uh, Kilkenny and Waterford. It's okay, we can mention Kilkenny. Um, <laughs> it's uh, just I'm not allowed to mention it. <laughs> between the North Everybody and else can. <laughs> and that's going to link the North and South Keys, Bobby. And the North Keys initially was uh, floated as a pro project under the Office of Public Works when Martin Cullen was a minister over 20 years ago. And here we are, uh, two failed projects in the interim. We finally got to number three. And um, thankfully, this is actually going to happen now. Um, but the, I mean, the point that Cliff makes there about um, uh, objections to developments within constituencies by TDs who are standing up in the doll yeah. advocating for housing, I mean, this is part of the problem. And again, you're just kind of thinking, and as much as there are issues with on board Planola, which I you know we can't get into here in much depth, um, unless there's a, an about face and about turn within political mentality. We're going to be having Cliff Taylor could write this story again in 20 years. Yeah. Um, just a local Waterford story I wanted to highlight, Brian. Uh, made to measure new tech innovation by Irish fashion graduate ensures closing sizes match, match up. A, a company called uh, Taylor, I believe it's pronounced. Um, but a, a really, really good it is a brilliant SME story. story. One I was, I have to say, totally unaware of before today. Um, it's on page 17 of the Irish Independent. So a lady from Waterford called Shana Chu. Uh, she's a graduate, um, I'm guessing, from what's now Southeast Technological University. And she also worked at AOL for a time and learned some web skills there. But she's essentially seen this problem about clothes sizing and also then waste of material um, in the fashion industry and kind of brought it all together. The easy bit, I think, for a lot of us would be seeing the problem, you know, fast fashion and all of that, the environmental impact, seeing the sizing issue in clothes is difficult to get the right size, I think particularly for ladies, maybe more so than for Dermot and myself. But I, I think- <laughs> You well, include me in that as well. <laughs> she didn't just see the problem, she's came through with the solution and now it's turning in. She's um, due to announce a 700,000 euro investment next week. So it looks like it's turning into a really successful, scalable business. Um, well so done, really, Hart. Really encouraging story. Great to see that story locally. Uh, Dermot, Zara among retailers, cashing in on the Barbie craze despite cost pressures. Uh, this to me is like a, a major business transformation from a maker of toys and dolls to a film produ production company. Well, yeah, I mean, and it's obviously, it's done a massive business already, Barbie, and obviously two films coming out the same day is an unusual occurrence in themselves, and neither of them sequels, Barbie and Oppenheimer, which is completely unusual. But yeah, um, the thing which interests me most, this is a story in The Examiner, and it's about um, retailers flocking to Zara and H&M. Of course, these are two brands which I know a lot of retailers in Waterford have been crying out for. Maybe they might end up in the North Keys in due course. Watch this space. But... Um, Yes, uh, Barbie, of course, represents uh, a doll which lots of girls played with openly and boys quietly uh, back in the 80s and 90s. And um, it is interesting that Zara's Barbie collection, which only launched on Monday, features 17 children's garments and accessories and has brought pink back into fashion. I know a lot of girls, including my own daughter, would run a mile before they wear pink. But it's going to be interesting to see um, just how it takes off, particularly um, and, and appealing to men as well, I notice. You can also buy into the trend with a fuchsia suit, cowboy boots and 
denim shorts. So I'd say anyone going to a Nathan Carter concert is going to be <laughs> lapping this stuff up. Very finally, uh, Brian, don't mention the boar. Uh, Berlin drama of a lion on the loose turned out to be one big porky. Another Daily Mail story, Bobby, and one that has a couple of kind of plot twists, even though it's a short story. Um, people in Berlin, they'd been put on alert uh, because there was fears that there was a lioness loose on the streets. <laughs> it turns out that it was um, boars from a local zoo, but the twist in it is officials were forced to admit that the roaring sound heard by officers had turned out to be teenage pranksters using a Bluetooth speaker. <laughs> so I think it's a case of kind of, there's very helpful photos in the mail if people don't know the difference between a boar and a lioness. But a real case, I think, of kind of fake news meeting teenage pranksters um, and terrifying people. But Okay, well, listen, I want to thank you both, uh, both Waterford men, Dermot Keyes and Brian Nolan. Thanks for a super review of the papers. Well done to you both. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.